Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arts Equator Theatre podcast. Today, we are talking about Pangdemonium's recent production of The Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams. Um, now, The Glass Menagerie is a classic American memory play where a character called Tom Wingfield looks back on his life and the relationship he had with his suffocating mother, as well as his painfully shy sister, who spends her time seeking solace in a collection of glass ornaments, the titular glass menagerie. <laughs> and yeah, it's an interesting play because we've not really seen a classic text being staged in Singapore and, you know, without being modernized or adapted in any way for a long time. So for me, I think it was quite interesting seeing this production um, being realised. And I think after a two-year period, because Pangdemonium has been wanting to do this for a long time, but obviously because of the challenges of the pandemic, they've not been able to. And this stars Jamil Schultz, um, Salif Hardy, Inch Chua and Catherine Grace Gardner. So maybe Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your initial impressions were of The Glass Menagerie? Well, I guess the initial impressions are the set and the lighting. Beautiful, beautifully done. I saw the Broadway production with Cherry Jones and Zachary Quinto, and they went for a slightly more stark version with a very tall iron fire escape and kind of teals and pinks and things. But here we had this dusty kind of bamboo aesthetic. Mm. It managed to be saturated without being vivid mm. so that you got a sense of the richness of the memories that we're seeing, but also that some of their freshness has gone off. Mm. Uh, I thought that just the little touch of having slightly tilting flooring, not so much that you always see it, but just so that you occasionally think, oh, that floor is tilted. And having all the weight of the windows suspended and looking down on the stage, it's set in uh, the tenements of a Midwestern city in America. Just really, really effective design work. Really loved it. Nabila? Mm. I really loved the themes of this play and how especially the design brought out those themes very effectively. I mean, it actually says it's a memory play, right? I think yeah, in the yes. script itself. And, you know, the things like how the set had like serrated edges. So you see like this is like a imperfect memory of Tom and the windows with projections, old-timey American, I don't know, movies and yes. scenes yeah. and things. It was just really, really beautiful. And the themes that I especially liked were this idea of like the distortion of the American dream or just like these mm. people who are trying to live a life that they want but they're trapped behind glass almost to me they were like the figures that were trapped in the glass menagerie that was actually portrayed on stage and for me like those themes and I guess the writing really was what really took me in yeah. But I felt that then when you talk about acting and performances that's where I think it really fell short for me yeah, yeah. No, and I think I just want to echo the same sentiments. I think it was so nice to just see that fully realised set by Yusian Chia, who's obviously a frequent collaborator mm. with Pangdemonium and did a fantastic set for their last production, The Mother as well. And it's really just this idea of this space suspended almost in place and time. Mm. And I like the glass shards that were kind of mm. around the space as well. You know, there was a lot of beauty in terms of the design, which was again accentuated with the sound and the lighting and the multimedia work. Yeah, James Turns' lighting especially was very sensitive. Beautiful, really and then it. 
Genevieve Peck's projections of all those old-time Hollywood stills. I think it generated a beautiful landscape, I think. But then, to go back to your point, Nabila, I think then it resulted in like the cast really having to fill in the footsteps, mm. I guess, of that beautiful space. And I think for me, the acting experience, unfortunately, was a rather mixed one. I think it was just the tone in which the various actors inhabited the role. And so, for example, we have Inch Chua who plays Laura and kind of in an almost ethereal manner. She's a thin, wispy character who speaks barely above a whisper. She doesn't really have a lot of physicality about her, almost fading away into the background until that scene towards the end where she has that you know near romantic moment with the gentleman caller. And then contrasted with that, you have the Tom character played by Jamil Schultz, who is brash and loud and having these, you know, rowing matches with the mother and almost playing it a little bit like a stand-up comedian at times, mm-hmm. I think, which for me just felt a little bit out of step with the sister and later on with the gentleman caller and the mother. I think they just weren't really in step. Yeah, this is a play which I think operates within a certain tonal range. Like if it's the orchestra, it's the strings and not the brass. Yeah. If it's a painting, it's blues and there aren't any yellows. Mm. And I think that what Tracy is so good at doing when she directs contemporary productions is finding the absolute maximum digital contrast ratio where your brand new TV can do the whitest whites and the blackest blacks. And this play just doesn't need that. Because mm. I think if you think of something like how Late Company, which I think they did quite well recently, is structured, it's got moments which are genuinely funny. It's got real confrontations. It's got sadness. It's doing that drama and comedy and tragedy. It's it's all about the ands. Mm. And when you do have the darkest darks and the brightest brights in that kind of play, it works beautifully. But this isn't that. You know, this is a, a Vincent van Gogh painting. It's done with a very certain palette in a very impressionistic style. And so when you've got people like Inch Trois who is performing in a very controlled, impressionistic swoon, you know, her speech was a little bit closer to music and her movement was a little bit closer to dance. And when you're contrasting that with someone like Jamil Schultz, who is just doing whatever the moment requires, if you can get a laugh out of this line, get a laugh out of this line. If you can shout this line, shout this line. Well, A... I don't think you should use all of that tonal range because I think it takes you away from the sweep and the tone of what the play is trying to say. And B, if you're doing that with him, you have to do it with the rest of the cast as well. So Mm. I found it had submitted to the temptations of doing what you can in the moment and not what you should for the benefit of the piece. Mm. I don't know whether it's also in the writing where the characters are not all written in a kind of equally strong way. Mm. So I do feel that the actor playing um, the mother had a lot of tools at her disposal which helped her. And ultimately, she gave a really good performance that was very strong. She felt like she kind of belonged in that play. And obviously, some of it is cultural specificity. But I also feel that that character was allowed to be broad and was allowed to be dramatic. And it wasn't... So by cultural specificity, uh, I suppose you're referring to 
to Catherine Grace Gordon of being American. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just being American and being able to nail that accent. I'm not sensitive to accents, but it felt like very authentic. But I kind of feel like with Jamil Schultz, for example, like going so big and broad for all of that two and a half hours was just like, it wasn't what the moment needed and it wasn't what the world of the play needed and maybe that's why something like what Inch was doing just felt controlled and you know it wasn't too much and I mean I don't think it was to my taste fully like Inch's You were saying earlier in a pre-discussion that you couldn't believe that Tom played by Jamil Schultz was a poet No, no. I mean, they kept saying he was a poet, but I was like, he does not have a poet's temperament. Yeah, so I mean, like, I felt he was at times closer to Stanley Kowalski from A Streetcar Named Desire rather than this eloquent, poetic character Mm. that Tom Wingfield is supposed to be because he's kind of like the Tennessee Williams character. Mm. Um, But yeah, I wanted that slight differentiation between him at the start and him in the play and then towards the end where he finally comes out and tiptoes around that space and then looks back on Laura and talks about blowing out the candles in that famous closing speech I'm like why did you wait so long to move around I think again you know I was wondering you have this beautiful space at your disposal which suspends this Wingfield home in like this literal bubble surrounded by glass why do you not use that more to kind of underscore this memory and the fact that this is a hazy space which you're looking back on I think it was again mix of direction choices and also the way the actors portrayed the role just giving into the moment um, rather than you know thinking of it in terms of a harmonious orchestra I suppose yeah also if we're talking about harmony Jimmy Schultz could not stay in the same accent at all it was all over the place and Nabila you say you're not sensitive to accents I am Mm -hmm. and it's just like someone playing not only a wrong note on the piano, because maybe that turns into jazz, but a different wrong and badly tuned note each time. I'm not quite sensitive enough to the nuance to know whether Inchtois accent was exactly right for the time and place, but it was consistent. Mm. And when she says, eh, it comes out as eh the next time and not as ah or whatever. You know, the phonemes repeated. But with Jamil Schultz, the air could be ah or 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 what I don't know. It was going to come back different every time, and it just throws you out of believing in this as a real person. And to be fair, it's a very very difficult thing to do. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where, as a director, should you even ask for this level of cultural specificity when probably you're not going to be able to get it? Salif Hardy's accent seemed to me to be quite consistent and certainly non-distracting but it wasn't an early 20th century Irish-American accent as it should have been Mm. it was closer to a rather more modern African-American accent and okay, if that's the accent he can do that's the closest he can get sure Mm. but it does raise the question of why bother with the accents anyway if you're not going to manage the cultural specificity My colleague Sean Tobin just directed a production with students of the same play and he didn't do that. And of course you lose something, but what you lose is a certain number of keys on the piano that you then don't play. Mm. And what you remove is the danger of just hitting the wrong badly tuned keys all the time. Yeah, 
it's again back to the point about like, you know, how the set, the design, all of the technical elements just created these wonderful contours. Costume um, as well. Yes, I think that's a very good point. Do I do really talk should about talk about yeah. Leonard Augustine Chu's costumes because, again, it was just such a beautiful display of period detail from the pastel dresses worn by Laura to that, frankly, rather hideous dress that... Amanda, the mother, wears, which is indicative of this woman stuck in the past with her 17 gentlemen callers and not wanting to move on to that boxy 1940s suit that the gentleman caller wears, which is just a little bit big for him, mm. but somehow he feels a little diminished in it. But it's a really good choice. But, you know, still so sharp and finely pressed and then the disheveled look of Tom, the man who works in the shoe factory and chafes against Mm. his mundane life. So the costumes did a beautiful job in just accentuating the characters. But again, you know, the performances seemed to colour outside the lines of that because they were kind of going all over the place, as you mentioned, in terms of their tone and their range. And I think an important point is that, you know, there are all these rich themes simmering in the text. That's what hasn't changed in mm. in the 75 years, mm. rather than pandemonium drawing all these, frankly, rather far-fetched parallels about how this play, it's set in the wake of the Spanish Civil War and the Great Depression is not too dissimilar to the current situation of us coming out from the pandemic and the Ukraine crisis. I mean, I don't even think of it like that. I think, you know, just appreciate it as a piece of classic theatre with universal themes about human beings dealing with everyday situations, love, loss, disappointment, Mm. um, and just kind of go with that. Yeah. I do feel that there are a lot of um, audiences, maybe the younger audiences, who do feel like this play may not be very relevant. I was just looking at like the gender roles, for example, of how they even portrayed Laura as being this shell of a woman because she is quote-unquote crippled, right? Just so the idea of a character with a disability, for example, that there are a lot of contemporary plays that deal with that so much better. And I feel like there was also, I think, or rather me and Matt think that we heard the N-word being said as well. And yeah, we were kind sure of, I did. We were kind of talking about like, oh, was that something that they had to do? Was that a choice that they made? And I'm more interested in like how a theatre company is dealing with that. Even if they choose to be authentic and not to change anything, i rather see that in the programme note than about like make a stretch about the play being about the Ukrainian war and things like that. So for me, I'm like... What's the value of a contemporary theatre company doing a play like this? I mean, you can be authentic, but like, what are you bringing to the table as well? I think there is an issue in there, deeply in the play, that can and should be excavated, which does have some relevance to today, but they didn't do it. Mm. Tom's thing is he's never at home, which his mother wants him to be, because he's out at the movies. And... He's not at the movies. She states early on, well, you're not at the movies because they don't run at midnight till three in the morning. What else is he out doing? And if you know a little bit about Tennessee Williams, he was gay in a time when it was very, very difficult to be so. And I think it's by no means an original reading of this play Mm. that Tom is out at night getting blackout drunk so that he can overcome his societally instilled but long ingrained guilt about having sex with men and then probably having sex with a lot of men and coming home and creating this euphemism that he's out at the movies. And that's in there, but it was not in this performance. And there's a line at the end when he leaves his mother for the final time where he says, I'm going out and not to the movies. 
and that should be laden with confronting her with the truth of what he's been doing, which she knows. They both know they know. There's an earlier part when she confronts him about going out to the movies and he's listing all the things that he could be doing. He could be a mafia hitman. He could be doing all these things, which, of course, today we realize are so far more evil than the innocent act of just being gay. He can say he's doing those things, but he can't say he's gay. And that is something that in Singapore people still find themselves experiencing. People are not necessarily able to come out at work or to their families. And that kind of agreed-upon silence of the euphemism of the Singaporean parents saying, oh, are you staying over at your friends again? Mm. You know, That's still happening. And bring that out, because that's actually in there, whereas the Ukraine conflict, as far as I can tell, is not. No, I think that is such an important point as well, because I think it is about Tennessee Williams and his life. And I think it's such a contemporary issue that a company like Pangdemonium, which has done plays, in fact, like I think Tango uh, mm. play they did a few years ago was about gay parenthood and They've tackled this issue several times in their productions over the years to kind of like maybe use a theme like that and then draw a little bit of relevance. That would have been far better, I think. Because I that flew over my head. Actually. Same, same. I, I think it simply wasn't in this production. Yeah. But it's something that I think could have added so much more colour, really. Yeah. Uh, we haven't said much about Salif Hadi, and uh, I think we wanted to. Yeah, Salif Hadi. Now, he comes in only in that final part because mm. we've had more than an hour of these three Wingfield characters. And he comes in, and I have to say, I actually was really taken by his performance. I mean, he's charming. He is. He does a fairly consistent accent. He is sort of good-looking and kind of warms up the space a lot. So I think I really was quite happy to see his performance in this show. I mean, I haven't seen him in a lot of things in Singapore, but I think it's fair to say that this was definitely one of the better things I've seen him in. And I was quite happy with his chemistry with Inch Chua, because you know how this is going to turn out. You know it's going to be a crushing disappointment at the end, but you almost believe yeah. <laughs> that something is going to happen. And I think that is the, the beauty about it, how he is this person who obviously had his heyday in high school, but he wants to relive that. And in the end, he has to let them down. And yeah. there's just... I felt quite moved in that scene and the way it came out, even though I know how it is going to come out. And I think that for me felt a lot more refreshing than just seeing that mm. almost brash confrontation sitcom-like start. Yeah. Yeah, it did feel like a magical moment in the play. And also like spatially, it was interesting, right? Because suddenly they were sitting down like mm. at the front. And I don't know, it just they just somehow managed to create that world really well. And maybe because before Salif actually enters, there's a lot of like description of his character and there's so much expectations and all. And Salif like just managed to fill that weight of the expectations that like, really well I felt I think his star is rising by the way he just won like some Surya like reality oh, nice. TV yeah and he can sing you know so maybe oh, we'll wow. see him in a musical yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, soon he can also rap uh, yeah but I thought like Salif like, really really did well maybe because that character was kind of written in a like a very manageable kind of way but to me he served his I don't know I find purpose. that character very difficult and of all the times I've seen the show including the Broadway one I've never quite found a version that satisfies me, and that's personal taste. But everything you say about him, he had that charm, he had mm. that brightness, he had that romance and that focus. I think all of that worked. 
I always want from that character. You talked about his suit being too big and that sense、yeah. of diminishment, and I just want the sense that he's trying to refill that suit, but that it requires some kind of unnatural effort to do so. That even trying to do so comes with an inbuilt cruelty. Like if you're going to. Dig your claws in and climb back up to where you once were. That's going to involve hurting people, and you know that, and you're okay with it. But you're not okay with it. This is all personal taste, and certainly in terms of the acting, I, I really think he did do what was asked. What's not personal taste, though, are moments of the play which I thought were directed almost objectively wrong. I mean, is there really objectivity in theatre? Probably not, but you can get close. And there's a moment where Tom and his mother Amanda are out on the fire escape, and all she wants from life is gentleman callers to marry Laura.、Mm. To the point where the gentleman caller has become a godo figure, where if he arrives, everything will be solved.、Mm. And Tracy has positioned Amanda sitting on the fire escape with her legs dangling off the side, and Tom says, "Oh, and by the way, a gentleman caller's coming." And she just sits there and keeps dangling her legs off the side. No, that's just wrong. She should be filled with lightness and air. She should be a helium balloon bouncing off the roof, and she just sits there. And it's that lack of sensitivity. And this is such a difficult and tonally precise play that I can forgive not being perfectly sensitive to the nuances, and certainly also someone having a different directorial approach, which is sensitive to other nuances than the ones I chose. But there's also bits you just get wrong,、mm. and I think that was one. And I think that the interpretation of Tom was one. Tom cannot be a stand-up comedian; he has to be a poet. Yeah, this is probably just repeating what we said earlier. But like, it's it's just it's a case of they've built up this beautiful structure、mm. and then just somehow not quite managed to fill it.、Mm. Like you know, because the tone, the acting, the the direction. At times, kind of just didn't quite match up to this beautiful canvas that they they um, prepared, um,、mm. you know, in in terms of the technical and design elements of the show. I think something that I'm realizing is that this play is actually really hard to do. Oh God, yeah, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I think it's really hard. Yeah, I think it's really good, but it's also really bad. But but there's something about it as well that you feel like it should be easy to grasp. But yeah, you should. But it's it's so poetically、mm. like it, the dialogue doesn't come across as very overwritten. But if you read the stage directions, they are atrociously pretentious, <laughs> and there are directions for like what you need to project on the screen, and it's supposed to be. Où sont les neiges d'antan? Where are the snows of yesteryear? Is supposed to, in French, appear. Uh, projected on the backdrop. Now, what a stupid choice,、mm. you know. So, and of course, this production didn't do that. Although it did use some projection, and it perhaps used a little more projection than I would have preferred. But this script does leave you with some bad things in and around its edges, which you really probably shouldn't do.、Mm. And then you've got to ask, well, what do you do? And how important is the cultural specificity? There are so many difficult choices here to navigate. I love the play, warts and all. I would not dare to attempt it.、Mm. But yeah, I think it's commendable that after such a long time, we have got an American classic like this.、Yeah. It's not perfect. I think everyone can agree. But I think it's a very, very good 
version of the play for us to have here. I'm glad this finally was realised after such a long time. And yeah, I mean, it would be interesting just to see what other companies are you know, have in store in terms of the classics. I mean, mm. we've got um, Wild Rice doing Tartuffe, a version of Tartuffe um, coming up in a couple of weeks. So, you know, perhaps there might be mm. a lot more of these um, classics that we see in the Singapore yeah, that's stage. what we've been missing. You can't blame people for wanting to bring back the things that we've been missing, right? Yeah. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah. So with that, thank you very much, everyone, and look forward to speaking to the next podcast. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.